When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. All right, welcome back to the Project Upland podcast. This week's episode, episode number two, we will be talking to Brandon Smith. He is the star. Ah, he probably wouldn't like that term, star. He is one of the people featured in the latest release from Project Upland, which would be the Camp Thunderbird film. Uh, Brandon and his girlfriend Lane were featured in that film, came out earlier this week. I don't know about you all, but I thought it was fantastic. Um, I think it pretty much set a new bar for Project Upland. That is definitely the way that AJ wanted it to feel. I know he mentioned that, I believe, last week on the podcast episode that they had done some additional work as far as editing and and what they wanted to do with that film and i thought it turned out fantastic if you haven't seen it yet definitely you're going to want to check that out um as it is it's almost october here hunting season hunting season is underway and camp thunderbird got me more pumped up than ever before for mid october i try not to get you try not to get too high on sort of waiting for mid-October or that the peak of the season because it comes and goes so quickly you really have to enjoy every single day that you get to spend out in the field so 
be careful about that. But again, it's hard it's hard not to watch uh, uh, something like Camp Thunderbird and and not think about uh, a mid to late October day and when the leaves are down and the birds are spread out, woodcock are maybe migrating and things are things are working out. Stars are aligning. I love that stuff and it's coming. It's coming right around the corner. It's gonna be fun. Uh, this is the third week of September, I guess it's, we have two weekends of, we've got two weekends of grouse hunting under our belt here in the Midwest. I have been out both weekends, hunted Wisconsin the first weekend and I hunted Minnesota the next last weekend, this past weekend and tomorrow night. Well, it'll probably be tonight. If you're listening to this, the day that it came out, I got to be careful of those dates. I think I will be heading to Northern Minnesota for the third weekend. So I'm going to hunt three different areas, three different weekends. And, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting as the first two weekends have been, uh, conditions always questionable in the early season. I'll sort of break off on a little tangent here and provide sort of my grouse and woodcock report from the first two weekends. So as I mentioned, conditions, you know, they can always be always be interesting early. You expect thick foliage and somewhat warmer temperatures. And let me tell you, if you are not out in the grouse and woodcock woods in the Midwest, uh, you may not know, but if you were out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We had temps that were way too hot and the foliage is thick. It was it was tough, tough hunting conditions. Uh, there was a lot of rain in the forecast where I was where I was both weekends. Ultimately, it ended up not being to the point where it kept us out of the woods. It tended to rain at night, so that wasn't a big deal. And actually, some of the wetness in the morning helped sort of maybe keep things cool for a little bit longer. But it's been a it's been two two tough weekends of hunting, and the temperatures finally dropped here, at least where I'm at in Duluth. And I know I'm heading north this weekend. The temps will be very very comfortable compared to what we've been dealing with for the past two weekends so this is really i think for me going to be the first real weekend of of something that actually comes close to feeling like fall so needless to say i'm very excited about that uh as far as birds go i would i won't hesitate to say that i've struggled finding a lot of grouse i mean we're getting into a few and um had we had a day last saturday where we we hunted as much as we could and we flushed 18 grouse that's the most grouse i've flushed in a day it felt it had a kind of a weird feeling to it i was talking to a buddy of mine that i was hunting with and just seemed like all the grouse flushes came at at like one time and i had two spots really where i got in the grouse and there were some other covers that we hunted during the day where it was just there was nothing there uh but that's just that's really part of part of grouse honey i mean it it happens so i don't know what to tell you there's a lot of reports flying around across the internet about you know people are finding them people are not finding them and what the hell's going on the drummy cones were through the roof and i'll just i'll just remind the project upland listeners i expect most of you to be fairly educated but if you're not i mean those we got to be careful with the drumming counts because a lot of people want to set their expectation based off that number and it's just there's so much more to it than than the simple uh the increase 
increase or decrease in the adult survival through the winter. I mean, that's what that, that's what that number is. You're surveying the birds that survive the winter and that are drumming in the spring. You're surveying adult males, um, which is only half the population or somewhere about it. But what that doesn't survey is, is the hatch and the brood survival throughout the summer. So the, the hatch and the brood survival, I, I think personally, I'm not a biologist, but I think personally can have an almost bigger impact any given year on, on what you feel the numbers are in the woods than the drumming counts. I think a, a great hatch and phenomenal summer weather-wise, you get good brood survival, you could feel like you're at the peak of the cycle when you're only mid-cycle or even even lower. I think that's a, that's a big deal. And I think the the jury's out a little bit as far as as far as how the uh, how the how the chicks did in in at least in the areas that I'm hunting, I there was some optimism from myself. I tend to be an optimism. There was some optimism from myself and some, from others, but uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how how October turns out. And before I get going on too long about that, the uh, the nice thing is uh, where we're hunting in, in the Northern Great Lakes States. I mean, if you're hunting grouse and woodcock here, you're, uh, you're hunting in a pretty good area and our, even our down years are, are good years. So don't let it, don't ever let it stop you. Get out there and get out there and find birds and have fun. It's going to be an awesome season. We're, uh, we're just getting into the thick of it right now and I can't personally can't wait. So I hope, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode coming up. Brandon and I talked about lots of stuff. We didn't actually talk a lot about camp thunderbird or the film or anything i think that's sort of captured in the film and the film obviously clearly stands on its own as uh as uh, the piece of art that it is so i i've known brandon a little bit just basically from social media it's another another person another connection i made just sort of social media and some facebook groups or whatever whatever it may be but uh you know you can tell you have things in common and that obviously being upland bird hunting and so brandon and i have uh, known each other so we just we chatted about dogs we chatted about guns we chatted about his camp and and sort of the story behind it um uh, we talked about all kinds of stuff and we we looked ahead at the the hunting season to come and and i'm sure we shared some stories of uh of past seasons so i think uh i think you're gonna enjoy it and i will take this time to uh to let you know episode one is out there people are listening to it but we hope that we have new listeners every time and and uh if you if you're enjoying the show please uh please help us out go on itunes or wherever you're getting your podcast and like a you know like subscribe give us five star review whatever it is whatever you think of the show let us know because we want to uh if it's not where you want it to be we want to improve it that's my number one goal so get a hold of me um you know, via Facebook or, or contact Project Upland in any of, many of the ways, projectupland.com, that sort of thing. We uh, we want to hear from you, and uh, we want to make this show the best best that we can do. So let us know what else what else you want to hear in upcoming episodes, and if you have guest ideas, all that good stuff. I'll try to remind. I'll probably say that a lot, but, uh, again, we hope to have new listeners every time, so we want people to know that. So... Uh, with that said, let's let's jump into episode number two with Brandon Smith. All right, welcome to the show, Brandon Smith. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Thank you for joining us this evening on uh, the Project Dublin podcast. We're happy to have you on. 
Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be back in Wisconsin. Yeah, so you were uh we were talking a little bit before you were, you were doing some traveling which was a little bit of uh personal travel, but you like uh any true upland bird hunter, you you found a way to work in a little upland hunting. <laughs> T- tell us uh tell us where you were and what you were doing for the last couple of days. Well, <clears throat> started last week uh yeah, by Boulder, Colorado. We we were able to run in the Pawnee National Grasslands and it was it was brutal. <laughs> wasn't uh wasn't wasn't what we uh what we're used to back here in Wisconsin. Um <clears throat> and then we were uh we made our way through uh Wyoming into South Dakota, chased chickens for a couple of days and that was fantastic. Cool. Which you're a little bit more familiar with, with chasing uh prairie chickens, right? Yeah, yeah. We uh um we run prairie chickens from August first till you know, the season starts for training. It's it's a lot easier to train dogs and correct them on a prairie where you can see them, you know? Sure, sure. And chickens are cagey, too. Uh, you know, the the babies the babies stick close, but you get the adults, and they, they don't want you around them, you know? So it, it really teaches the dog to uh, to stop when they smell them or, or they're going to flush them. Okay. Cool, cool. So, uh, back up for me one second. What was uh, what was brutal for a, for a, a Northwood <laughs> grouse and woodcock hunter? What was uh, what was brutal about uh, the first place you were at? Well, <clears throat> the altitude for one. Yeah. You know, about fifteen minutes in, my face is getting tingly, and I'm <laughs> feeling pretty heavy. You know, and the you know, like looking down, there's just little cactuses everywhere, just covered in cactuses, and the dogs are just full of spiky stuff and it was uh it wasn't what i was used to that's for sure 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 yeah that's i've uh i haven't uh i haven't gone upland bird hunting west of minnesota so my uh my experience in in that is is somewhat limited but uh yeah it sounds sounds interesting and uh yeah I guess. there's there there's snakes out there too there's snake there were snakes in the pawnee and and there's definitely big rattlers in the Pierre National Grasslands. When we were walking in the Pawnee, there was like, like a wire from a road flag or something, you know, like, yeah, like a, sure. you know, mark thing got on my boot and I jumped like three feet in the air, you know, <laughs> <laughs> something was yeah. moving. <clears throat> so did you see any snakes? No, we didn't see any snakes, but one of the other groups, uh, they ran into one rattlesnake, I think each day that we were out there. Okay. So, yeah, I uh, I had my eyes peeled. That's uh, that's definitely different from a from a fellow Northwoods grouse and woodcock under the snake thing. Yeah, I I had never experienced it until I was fortunate enough to hunt woodcock in Louisiana earlier this year, and we were there in January, and it was that time of year is normally from what i understand is is typically very very good hunting and it, usually snakes are not a worry at that time of year cuz temps are like below 60 degrees and below 60 degrees the snakes are underground this is according to what the locals told me but <clears throat> unfortunately when i was there we had unseasonably warm temps and so everybody was kind of on high alert including myself who <laughs> yeah had never seen a, a water moccasin before and didn't want to didn't want to see one so i had my 
I had my eyes peeled on the ground. I was pretty much watching the ground more than I was watching the dogs or the birds. And we actually did, we saw two snakes, uh, and some of the guys that I was with said they were non-venomous. One of them was huge. It had to be five or five or six feet long. And I think it was a, it was a big black snake. We, they determined it was called a king snake and it was non-venomous, but still. That was a big snake. Yeah. <laughs> it was coiled up on the ground in front of me and this other guy, and he jumped, and I obviously jumped. So yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. You know, we we I think we walked through the the Northwoods a little bit more confidently that we're not going to have to worry about stepping on anything like that. That's for sure, definitely. <laughs> so you're back. You're back in Wisconsin. Uh, where? Just for the listeners, I guess where's uh, where's home base in Wisconsin? We'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about camp in a little bit, but where's home base? All right. Well, we live in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, right in the middle, right in the center. Okay. Yep. Cool. And, and you, it, you, I mean, it, it's not. Go ahead. Go, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's really not that far away. I mean, we live in town, about ten minutes, and we're in the grouse woods. And it, it ain't the best grouse woods, but there's grouse and there's woodcock there. So. Yeah. So it's, you're it's, able it's to nice. get out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and you did you grow up in Wisconsin? Did you grew up in that area. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I grew up just south of Stevens Point, in a little town. Not much to do down there. Sure. Sure. So, all right. So you grew up in an area that you were able to grouse and woodcock hunt. When did you When did you get into upland bird hunting? When did you start grouse and woodcock hunting? I didn't start. I didn't really start hunting until I was an adult, uh, okay. until I got loots. So that was seven. I really started hunting seven years ago when I got the dog, but looking back on it now, I really didn't start hunting till like a couple of years ago, you know, sure. looking at the way that sure. I hunt now, you know. Yeah, I get it, that. I, yeah. You get better, you know, and you Absolutely. you look back. I mean, you can't look back on it and be like, man. You know that sucked, but we weren't we weren't that good. Yeah, I'm getting yep. better. I know the feeling because yeah, I have, I have, I've been hunting for a long time. I've been hunting grouse for 20 years, but I didn't get my first bird dog until three. He's three years old right now. So yeah, I've only been really, really hunting with a dog for three years. I've had some exposure to hunting with dogs before that, but. I mean, I've learned a lot. Obviously, my hunting has completely transformed in the last three years compared to what it was before that. But, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, where you start doing it one way. And, I mean, shoot, you, you learn something every you learn something new every day, every season. So if you're not growing, I mean, what are you doing? So, yeah, I think it's pretty natural to sort of to look back and, and think, wow, yeah, imagine if I knew what I know today, yesterday. Right, kind of thing. right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I look back at some of the, you know, some of the some of the hunts that we used to do, and just think like, man, we you know we went a long ways, you know, we we saw a lot of birds, and now it's like that was the morning, you know. Yeah. Now yeah. it's now it's all day, and it's like piling piling up the birds, not not the the flushes. I mean, not the not the dead right. birds, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For for anybody that that uh, that doesn't know, it, it gets said a lot. But yeah, grouse and woodcock hunters tend to uh, tend to talk in terms of flushes as opposed to birds in the bag. So just to clarify yep, yep. that. Yep. 
Okay, cool. So yeah, so you got the dog seven years ago, and and, and you actually the the uh, trailer for uh, the trailer for Camp Thunderbird came out a couple of days ago, and AJ actually had a quote in there from you that you, you know you kind of said that's that's why you really started started hunting is is you got a German short hair pointer. So I guess that's kind of an interesting chicken or the egg discussion. Why did you get a German short hair pointer? Did you were you did you get a hunting dog because you wanted a hunting dog or did you was it more random than that oh yeah it was it was a little bit more random uh okay it, it just it just happened i saw an ad for german short-haired pointers and i'm like you know what i think i'm gonna get one of those uh, um <laughs> uh, the fella i mean it, it's a it's a little deeper than that i knew i knew about him uh okay. there's a guy that I, a guy that i work with he's in his 60s he used to bird hunt a lot and he talked about his short hairs and his english pointers and that's when I saw the ad for the German short-haired pointers. I called the guy, and he's like, "Yeah, come, come Thursday," and that's how I got a dog. And yeah. you know, we we did this together, me and that dog. You know. Yep. Okay, so is that the this? I I know this just from conversations that I've had with you and a mutual friend of ours, Garrett. But is that the guy that you that you've done a lot of training with? He's kind of been a mentor to you. No, no, not him. Um, okay, that's a different. Guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's Jeff Martin. He uh, he's the the brain behind Stony Brook or uh, yeah, Stony Brook Outfitters. Okay. okay. Uh, that that guy that guy has taught me a lot of stuff about yeah. training dogs. Yeah, uh, not even a lot. He's 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 trained me everything that I that I know. I've everything learned it all you know. from. Anything that's good, I've learned it from him, yeah. And anything that's bad, he's made you forget. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no other option. It's either you do it the right way or don't do it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, dogs are funny that way. You know, they, they respond to certain things in a certain way, and, and yeah, you got to just you gotta do the right things and get rid of the bad stuff for sure. Yep, yep, and consistency, you know. you got to be yeah. consistent. Yep. Yeah, I've uh, I've learned a lot with my first. You know, we're this is we're we just started our fourth hunting season. His first season, he was pretty young, but three years old and fourth season, and man, it's crazy the amount of things that we've learned and and I've seen him do over the last three years, and I couldn't be more excited for season number four. And I'm sure it's you know it's continued for you and Lutz. Is what what do you got? He's seven now, so you guys probably seven eight seasons in the woods. Yeah, yeah, and then well, plus we got the the puppy now. She she just turned one. Yep. And uh, she's she she's gonna be a monster. She's gonna be a good dog. She's looking good. Yeah, I mean, she's had, you know, I learned I learned so much from from Jeff over the last year year and a half or whatever it's been. Mm. Stuff that stuff that you should do when they're puppies, you know, from from when you get them till they're one. That's gonna make them, you know, better bird dogs when they're adults. You know, sure. The stuff that I, stuff that I wasn't able to do with Lutz because I didn't I didn't know I was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, we had we had her uh, we had pigeons in front of her when she was like nine weeks old. We got her chasing birds nine ten weeks, and we, we she was pretty much you know gun gun broke calf gun broke at probably 11 weeks wow yeah i mean you know you're not shooting a shotgun over but 
once 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 the puppy gets in a hard chase after a bird, you shoot the gap gun a couple of times and they don't even flinch. You yeah. know, that's that's how you associate that gun with fun, you know. Yep. Yeah, that's that's you know, really that's the thing. You know, you, if you you take small steps, right? You take small steps and yep. and you're putting pigeons in front of her and if she's chasing the bird and you fire the cap pistol and it's like in her mind that cap pistol could be a million miles away. You know, she she doesn't stop, she doesn't look at you. She all she does is continue yep. chasing the bird. You know that that it's you know, that that didn't bother her and all she cares about is the bird. So then you just sort of That's start right. layer layering and layering and it's i actually uh, i helped a buddy of mine in town here he had he's got an english setter puppy and i didn't know anything about intro to gun really before i got my dog and and i had i had garrett he showed me how to do it and so you know you kind of you pass on what you know right so this was his first bird dog and i helped him and we were doing the same thing we we started with the cat pistol and we were tossing quail for it and dog was chasing busted the cat pistol and we over a couple of days progressively worked up to you know 20 gauge and whatever and and you just you just got to be careful and you got to watch it at each each time you do it and don't overdo yep. it but the, the dog will tell That's you right. the, the dog tells you if 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 you're if you're doing it right and he'll tell you if if you're doing it wrong and you need to stop slow down or back <laughs> up that kind of thing yep yep yeah, we've we never we've never had a problem shooting over Augie. You know, it's just we did it at the right time. Yeah, and she just doesn't care. It just associates that noise with fun with a bird. You know. Yep. It's yep. cool. Yeah, yeah, it is really. It's fun. It's fun to watch them learn and make the associations, and and you know they take it so far. Like they'll, you know, I'm sure your dogs. You see, you put an orange on, or you grab the gun case, or whatever. They're all about, you know, they anticipate and they associate a lot. And sometimes, yep. for 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 better or for worse, sometimes they get in trouble because my dog's always anticipating what we're going to do next, and he gets excited <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But my my old boy, he don't. He's he's getting pretty good about saving his energy now, and right, he doesn't get right. excited until until the brush pants come on. That's cool. Yeah, it's, he's 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 getting smart, <laughs> learning how to conceal yeah, and save, yeah. save up for the woods. Yeah, all well, the pants are on. I guess it's game time. Let's go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> cool. All right, man. Well, uh, let's talk <clears throat> a little bit about Camp Thunderbird because I know I'm curious about it, and uh, yeah. I imagine some I imagine some of our listeners are. the The trailer came out. Uh, well. I suppose this podcast is probably going to air next week, I think, and the uh, and the video will already be out. So we'll just say Camp Thunderbird, the video's out, and so it's awesome. And I know when the trailer came out, I I've watched it a bunch of times. I just I really like what AJ did with it, and some of the some of the scenes in it are really cool, and I think it sets a tone. But Camp Thunderbird's awesome, man. How did it How did it come to be? How did uh, How did well, How did Camp Thum- Thunderbird come to be? Well, it's a funny, it's a funny story. Um, <clears throat> me and Lane made some trips up to uh, up to a national forest in Wisconsin. I ain't gonna say yeah. which one, but it's no pretty, pretty easy yeah. to find out which one it is. There's only and, so uh, many, you know, right? We're, right? <clears throat> we're staying at this campground, grouse grouse hunting up there, and uh, my aunt Mary, uh, she, we saw her at like a 
you know, a family get together, you know, I'm getting pretty close with her, but she goes, you know, I got land up, up there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you've told me before. And she's like, mm-hmm. you should go up there and use it. I'm like, what? Or she, she goes like, why, why haven't you been up there to use it? I'm like, you've never offered. <laughs> so I go, I go up there. I'm like, I'm going to go check this thing out. I, I show up and there's just this, just decrepit cabin hasn't been touched for 30 years. I don't know, a long time. Yeah. And I'm like, I can fix that. I can, I can make that a cabin again. So that's what I started doing. You know, I told her I'm going to fix up that cabin. I'm going to start using it. I'm going to start hunting out of it. And she goes, you, you do whatever you want. So that's what I did. I started, uh, oh, probably in May when the, when the snow finally went away. Okay. And I just started working on it by myself. Started with the roof, tore the tore the old roof off, had to replace a whole bunch of boards, got a got a roof on it, and then uh, I ended up making the windows, making the the, the jams, the door, um, put a new floor in it. Um, it, I did a lot of work. <laughs> Rechinked it. Yeah. She's she's good to go, man. It thinks things as tight as it's ever been. It should last another hundred years, you know. Uh, it looks like looks like it's in great shape. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's a it, cabin in the it woods is. and it's it, rustic, but yeah, uh, they they uh, they made it out of uh, white cedar. So cedar's pretty good about not rotting, but it's okay. built right on the ground. There's no foundation or not, so the bottom course is getting a little bit soft. Sure. But other than that, man, it's it's good to go. It, I ended up like really putting the finishing touches on it. Pretty much the night, two nights before AJ came up there to film. Okay. So you, so it, you know, you're talking May of 2016 is when you started redoing that thing. Yeah, yeah, May of 2016. I worked. I was up there every weekend all summer long. I, basically, wow. I was up there every weekend from May till the end of November. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because once hunting season rolled yeah. around, you were, you weren't not going to be there. Right, right, yeah, and even in September when the when the hunting season started, we're going out in the morning before it gets hot to hunt, and then yeah. I'm coming back and I'm working on this cabin to try to get it wrapped up before AJ comes up there, you know, because sure, I, yeah. I I didn't not, none of that project upland thing had even been talked about when I started doing it, and then right, like right August rolls around and he's like, hey dude, you want to want to do a movie? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got serious. I'm like, holy crap! I got a lot of work yeah. to do. Little did AJ know the cabin, cabin was unfinished at that point. Oh no, he knew it. He knew it, but he's like, "You think you'll have it done?" I'm like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, sure." I hung up the phone. Like, oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> what did I get myself into? Yeah, it was good motivation. I got her finished. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> that's what it, that's what it takes—a deadline. I. I uh, I tend to work better under deadlines too, so I know how that goes. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. So, man, that's awesome. So, you built that cabin. I mean, you you redid the cabin last year, and also so last great. last last year, last fall, 2016. That was your first season hunting out of out of Camp Thunderbird. Yep. Yep. It's not my yeah. first time hunting the area, right? Because right. The, the the campground that we were staying in was only. You know, it was less than 10 miles away from this cabin. I'd driven past it before, you know. Wow. Didn't know it was there. We drove past the driveway to get in there many times. I didn't even know it was there. Okay. 
kind of fun, ain't it? So yeah, so so it, it, is it? It's sitting on like forty acres or something. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. So yeah, that that's well, that helps that you had you had hunted the area and you weren't starting from scratch as far as that goes because I uh, I have a little experience with that kind of kind of uh, trying to explore new territory and it's fun to do that but you know you had your hands full with the cabin so at least you were you were able to sort of hunt some areas yeah. that you knew last year and not have to worry about you know exploring and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because it's not always good when you explore. I mean, nope. Up there, it doesn't seem to matter. They're they're in there. They're everywhere. Yeah. But the problems that you run into are uh, when the when the birds start getting in the evergreens. They're in there. There's plenty of them, but you're never going to see them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or you you rarely do. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're it's interesting in that way that we almost you know in in the areas that you know we hunt northern northern minnesota wisconsin that kind of thing you can run into where it's not necessarily the quantity of birds that's our issue it's trying to find them in the right cover and trying to trying to uh, you know you got to be having a pretty good day i think to 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 really really do that but to target them in, in cover where you can start saying, I want to find birds in here because I think I can get a shot at them, you know, or I think we can, right. the dogs, That's right. dogs, dogs can pin them and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's interesting, yep. but you know, but then you can, you know, flip side of that, you can, you can get a rainy day and you know, the grouse are going to be in the, in the conifers and you know, you might still go after them, but good luck. Yeah. You'll hear them. Yeah. You'll, dogs you'll, make you'll it hear close. them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all good yeah. though yeah it's all yeah, part of the definitely. fun so you haven't you haven't hunted grouse yet right you you were traveling i haven't hunted like, rough like, grouse like I, yet. like i mean oh. like i mean season opened up last weekend you haven't been out in the woods yeah rough grouse you've you've been hunting right yeah i we haven't been in the woods yet for our season to hunt grouse okay tomorrow i will be though I can Tomorrow promise you, you that. Okay, and you, <laughs> yeah. you you had told me that uh, this was this was the first opener that you had missed in a while. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's the first opener I've missed since I started hunting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. I was. I will say, I was out in. Uh, I was out in northern Wisconsin last weekend, and you know, I mean. Opener's opener. It's fun to be out there, but you didn't miss a whole lot as far as as far as conditions go. I know they were there. I think they were pretty much tough across the the whole Great Lakes region. I mean, Michigan opened up on Friday last Friday. That was open on the fifteenth, and it was hot. It was hot everywhere, and we had rain, and it's thick like a jungle out there, like early season Tennessee. Yeah. But I feel like we've had so much rain this year that the vegetation is like maybe extra thick. I don't know. It's just. It's a mess out there right now, but it's fun to get back out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, opening weekend, it's punishment most most of the years that yeah. I've that I've gone out. It's it's thick, it's hot, and it hurts. <laughs> Cuz you know, yep. you got you got woodcock all over the place. And the dogs are the dogs are on them and they're looking at you like why ain't you shooting at that? Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> you know, you you 
you'll find Cubby's a grouse, and uh, you might see him. You might not. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's just the being out there. You know, it is. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all it is. It's a tune-up for the dogs, yep. and it's it's getting all your gear in order. You know, that's for me. It's working out the kinks of of an entire off season. You know, packing the right gear and making sure I got everything and getting my bins geared up, and so I can drop them in the truck and go at a moment's notice. You know, as the season goes on, so yep. it's it's good for all those things. And and yep. you you just sort of take it with a grain of salt and and. It is what it is, but it's grouse season, and that's there's no denying that. Nope. <clears throat> I'm, we're pretty excited to get out this weekend. We're heading up to camp tomorrow, tomorrow okay. morning, and we're gonna stay okay. up there till Sunday. So I'm gonna get my fix. Okay, cool. So, so yeah, so you'll get up there tomorrow. You get a couple couple days of grousing in, and then uh, Saturday we've got we've got woodcock opening up. So that'll. Uh, That'll open up some opportunities for you and the dogs. Yeah, especially that puppy. We got to get her on the, on the woodcock. Definitely. I mean, that's that's a ton of fun. Yeah, she yep, they they, pro- they provide a, yeah they provide a ton of enjoyment. I know I know that's for sure. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Go. Ahead. I was just gonna say, uh, what what are your what are your plans for the fall? I mean, are you pretty much are you pretty much Camp Thunderbird every weekend from here on out? Yeah, I'd like to say that, but I don't know if it's gonna happen. Uh, there's there's spots that are closer to home and in between here and camp that I should hit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like to go there. You know, it's it's like last year. There's a there's a favorite cover of mine that I'd only been to once the whole year. And when you pull in, you know, it's like it's like seeing an old friend. You know. Yeah. And yeah, yep. you know, you kind of miss you kind of miss places that you that you used to go to all the time that you haven't been to in a while. You know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little do a little bit more of that this year. And, and I I think there's there's plenty of stuff up by camp that. I haven't even touched yet. You know, there's so much land up there. Yeah. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. But but in a, in a broader sense, you're gonna basically be. You don't have any. You don't have any more other than what you just got home from. You don't have any more out of state trips. You're gonna be. You're gonna be crossing woodcock hunting in in Wisconsin for the rest of the season, pretty much. That is correct. Yep. Okay. Well, there's no shame yeah, in that. We, I mean. When we were coming back in uh, tonight, uh, you know, we got we crossed the crossed the state line into Wisconsin, and the humidity was like ninety nine percent, and it was warm, and we there was smells all over the place, and it's like, man, I'm glad to be home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. South Dakota, it was like it was less than fifteen percent relative humidity, and there there was no trees, no smells, no nothing. It's just. Yeah. I, I love Wisconsin. It's home. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. I'm, uh, you know, I'm. I I consider myself a, a Minnesota guy at heart. That's you know, I I grew up in Duluth, so I'm pretty close to Wisconsin. But for for a long time, I just, you know, I have access to so much in Minnesota that I never really I never really hopped across the bridge. And 
over to Wisconsin at all. And, you know, it's out-of-state licenses and everything, too. But my my family bought a cabin over there two years ago, so now I'm kind of using that as a grouse camp. And I've been exploring over there, and it's, yeah, it's cool. It's It's a little bit... It's a little bit different than Minnesota in certain ways, but in in a really interesting way to me. Like I just I haven't spent much time over there, and so I've been having a lot of fun exploring the different areas and seeing the different sceneries. And you know, as far as in a really broad sense, you know, chasing grouse and woodcock in northern Minnesota compared to northern Wisconsin is pretty similar. You know, the habitat habitat I think changes a little bit, but it's yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I. It's what I know. It's what I love. And you know, this time of year, you talked about the the smells. Like, it's we're just waiting for for those leaves to to turn all the way and start falling. And you smell that sort of the decaying forest forest floor. And I mean, that's what that's what October is all about. And it's right around the corner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, my uh, my stomach's tingling just uh, just thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh Gosh, what else do I want to ask you about? Um, so, so for, for dogs, you've got you have you have two short hairs. You got Lutz, who's seven. Yep. And Augie is one. You said. Yeah. Or will will yeah? Be she one? just turned one. She just turned no, she one. she okay. turned one at the end of, end of August. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that'll be that'll be those are the dogs that you and Lane will hunt with with uh, this fall. Yep. Okay. Cool. And uh, you know, you've you've we talked a little bit about it. You've you've pretty much done all the training yourself with the help with the help of, of a mentor, but you've uh you've trained those dogs and, and turned them into turned them into grouse and woodcock hunters. I know the pups the pups on its way, but but you've pretty much done it yourself, right? Yeah, I mean the I don't know, I went five years with Lutz or something like that, trying to figure this thing out on my own. And, you know, it, the, the dogs know what they need to do. Yeah. Uh, Doc Doc trained me more than he trained the dog, you know. Sure. You hear that a lot. You know, he, he would, yeah, he'd tell me, you know, like, oh, Lutz is fine. You know, he just had to just had to polish him up. He's like, you're the one that needed the training. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I learned a lot from him. I, yeah. I mean, I went up to him. I went up to him at one point. I I, I met him uh, through shooting skeet, and I just went up to him one day. I'm like, Doc, what if I told you that I don't know shit about training bird dogs? And he had this big smile, and he looked at me. He said, Go on. I need some help. And he said, Just come on over. And that's that's how it started. And uh, I mean, I don't know at all. There's I'm. I'm constantly asking him questions about little things here and there, you know, and there's, there's a ton to learn about it. And the only way that you're going to get experience is doing it and, and doing it with a lot of different dogs. Yeah. So, um, that his kennel is a great resource for me because I can go over there and I can grab a dog that, that needs to be worked on. And I can handle it, and he's going to tell me if I'm doing it right or doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's that's I I I I, I ain't going to say that I'm I did all the training myself because I didn't. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. 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 I, I think, did not. Well, I think you touched on a good point because the 
that's really the, I think that one of the huge difference, I won't say the difference, but one of the differences between a guy that does it for a living and, and, you know, a guy like me or, or average Joe, it's like, yeah, I train my dog, but I don't get to see, I don't get to see a lot, a lot, a lot of different dogs and see how all those different dogs react to, to different training scenarios and that sort of thing. I mean, that's really, that's really where those guys get excellent, excellent on their timing of corrections and commands and all that stuff. And, you know, those are the, yep. those are the people that you've got to learn from, right? Cause they, they're yep. just going to, they're just inherently going to know more about your dog and about you as a trainer than you probably know about yourself and your dog. So exactly. Yep. And time, timing is everything when training these guys. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's everything. If you, if you do something just a hair late, the dog doesn't know what you're what you're trying to tell them, you know. Yep. Yep. It's it's super important. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Those are those are little things that I've sort of picked up along the way, and and like I think my I think for being on my first dog and sort of being a like an amateur trainer, I think like my knowledge is pretty pretty okay, but like my execution is probably nowhere close to where it needs to be, and I feel like. I feel like, you know, my dog's, he's doing just fine <laughs> aside from, aside from me, you know, whatever he's got, <laughs> he's got good genetics and he's got good potential. And I've, I've done just enough not to screw anything up too bad, but, but really <laughs> it's, it's that, you know, when you work that many dogs, you're, you know, you improve those skills and that timing and that's, that's huge. And that's, that's going to be, yep. be a difference. But again, you know, we kind of, not to discourage anybody from trying to train their own dog because it's really an awesome experience when you, when you get a pup and you introduce it to birds and gunfire and you bring it out in the woods and and you're the one there with it every step of the way and, and you know not to not even talk about the bond that you're going to have with that dog I mean it's it's incredible I'm sure you can speak to it with Lutz I I know I can it's it's really it's been a fun fun experience for somebody that gr- grew up hunting without a dog for sure Yep Yeah it's they're they they're pretty good friends, you know. They're your yeah. hunting buddy. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, talk a little bit about what you like to see from your dogs when you're hunting. We'll say grouse and woodcock or whatever. If you want to, wherever you want to take it, and and if you like to see something a little bit different when they're on grouse, or or what you sort of take away. But what do you like to see as far as manners and you know what kind of suits you? Well, uh, when we're running on the prairie in in August and September, all all the dogs got to be on the same page, you know. So the, everybody's manners are tip top, and you don't you don't expect any less than that. So if a bird flushes, the dog stops. The dog should stop, and it's yep. it's it's not a it's not a problem that they flush the bird, that's fine, but they need to stop. And if a, if a dog points a bird, everybody is expected to back, you know, and everybody yeah, yeah. is expected to stand there until the shot is, is fired, you know, and it, for the younger puppies, it's, it's all right after the shot that they take off chasing, but yeah. we're going to stop the chase. You know, you don't stop them before you stop them, during the chase, you want to take it away from them. 
And so it, all that stuff translates directly to the grouse woods. We expect the same thing. Stop on a flush, be steady on the shot on the fall, and that's pretty much it. And yeah. it's, 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 it's pretty easy stuff, you know. Uh, they got to come with you. They got to they gotta come to you, and they got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's you can you can go a long ways with with you know those those couple of things those sort of bare essentials um, yeah I think that's I think that's spot on and you can you can do a lot in the grouse woods and and you know you can, you can do you can thing. do everything you can do everything with it those, with it, those yeah. basically in a in a nutshell all we're training the dogs to do is is to go with us to come to us and stop. That's it. Everything a bird dog needs to do are those three things. Yeah. So that doesn't that doesn't yeah. sound so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that at all, really. <laughs> yeah. It just takes time, yeah. consistency and repetition, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh a lot of repetition. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We and we don't cool. expect I, sh- I should say I don't affect loots. I've never asked them to retrieve, and I'm probably not ever going to. When a bird's on the ground, though, we'll say hunt dead, and he'll go point the dead bird. Now, Augie, on the other hand, um, Lane Lane wants to get everything that she can out of this dog, so she's going to expect this dog to retrieve, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. Has Augie the pup as it? Is it a is it a male or a female? She's a girl. She's a girl. Okay. Okay. So has Augie yep. has she shown has she shown uh, retrieving natural ability so far? I mean, what what are you seeing out of her? Yeah. What did you do, Lane? You she's got a, a puppy retrieving uh, thing. Novice. Yeah, she's got a she's got a novice uh, retriever uh, title or whatever that is. So oh, okay. That's okay. that's going out. Just going out retrieving a duck and dropping it, you know, at your feet or whatever. So yeah, she, yeah. she knows how to retrieve a bird. Yeah, and we'll 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 get her to do it in the woods. It ain't that hard. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's you know, I mean, as long as people have been talking about bird dogs, they've been talking about retrieving and not retrieving and that sort of thing. And I have an English <clears throat> setter, so the so most people know the story behind those. I mean, some. Some naturally retrieve and some don't, and mine does not naturally retrieve. Although I thought he was going to at at times, it's kind of funny. I have a, uh, I have a, I have a GoPro video of the second bird I ever shot over him. I shot I shot a couple or I shot a couple of birds over him his puppy season that they were sort of like they were just near him, and I knocked a couple woodcock down, but. The the next season, his second season in the woods, I just happened to be filming. It was like the sec, first or second day of the woodcock season, and I was filming, and he uh, he pointed a woodcock. I walked in, kicked it, flushed it, killed the woodcock. He was on top of it in a second, picked it up, and he was running back to me with this bird in his mouth, and he, and he dropped it halfway between us. And, like, I was so excited at the time that I didn't even <laughs> care, obviously. And uh, I just... I stumbled across that video a couple months ago, and I was laughing to myself because 
he almost was a natural retriever right then and there, but he he hasn't uh he hasn't done that since. But he is uh he's pretty good uh pretty good hunting dead and I we we work on that a lot because you know, again if the dog's not gonna retrieve um yeah, a lot of people scoff at that, but if the dog's not gonna retrieve, we're gonna we're gonna work on hunt dead as much as we can. So that's you know, that's what you can do for sure. I don't I don't care if my dogs retrieve or not, you know. I mean, even though even though short hairs are bred to do everything, they're bred right. to be the the all around dog. I don't care if my upland dog is going to retrieve or not. If he finds the bird after I shoot it, that is just fine. I can bend down and pick it up, you know. Yeah. Yep. I'm but, I'm in the same I, you know, boat. Yep. And and really, yep. it's just I, at this point, I don't I don't trust myself as a trainer to force fetch him and i just you know again i just i don't know that i have the consistency and and the time you know to do it and so i just i don't want to do something half-ass i'm not going to do it if it's not right so we've you know we have a good my dog and i have a good relationship in the woods right now and we haven't uh we haven't run into too many issues so we're going to keep doing what we're doing but you know again that's it's part of Part of having a hunting dog, you can sort of do things. You can sort of do things the way that you want to do it. Yep, you can expect. You can expect what you want. You know, you're, you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to get what you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yep. it's not what I mean. You, your dog will be whatever you want your dog to be. If you, if you expect more out of it, and you train it, you're going to get more out of it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That's. I think that's a good way to put it. It's. You know, your expectations and your follow through on those expectations. You know, your dog's yeah, your dog's gonna be what it's gonna be, and, and you guys will have it, it. It will work out in in whatever way that you decide it's gonna be, basically. Yep. I mean, ultimately, the reason why I went up to Doc and asked him for help was I I knew I could get more out of this dog. I just didn't know how to do it. You know, and I'm not. I ain't afraid to to say that. You know, look look where it's got me now. You know, yeah. I got a pretty good dog and a pretty good puppy. You know, all because I admitted to somebody that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's usually the first step right there, man. Is just yeah, be uh, be humble and and ask for help because there's there's always yeah. somebody that that's probably done it before you and knows more than you. And if as long as you have the uh, the humble attitude and and the respect to to ask for help. More than likely, you're going to find it, uh, especially in in the community of upland hunters. Because you know, I think sometimes it can be maybe tough to break into for certain people. But there's a lot of people that know a lot about everything upland hunting, and and you know, it's, I think it's becoming a lot easier to get that information with all the different ways that we can connect. And that's been really cool to see, I think. But yeah, if you if you are humble enough to ask for help, odds are you're going to get it, and you you know you do it in the right way, that sort of thing. I mean, it's out there for you. Sure is. Yep. What's uh, I was going to ask you what? Because I think it'd be kind of interesting. What what was what was what were you not getting out of loots when you when you went to ask Doc for help? Like, do you, do you remember something specifically? Um. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know he, he wouldn't he wouldn't always stand steady through through the shot. 
And, you know, some, sometimes you drop the bird and he'd be on the bird and, you know, he'd make sure it was dead for you, you know, really well. And it's, that, that got old after a while. And, you know, you, there's only so much, you know, yelling woe to the dog and he's not listening to you anymore that you got to be like, I got to do something about this. You know, <laughs> some people yeah. don't care. There, some right. people don't care if the, if the dog breaks out on the shot. That's, you know, the dog found the bird and that's good enough. But I, I knew I could get more out of him. Sure. And you wanted to. I wanted to get more out of him and I, and I did. I got it. He's a, he's a great dog in the woods. He's great. Yeah. Excellent. He's, well, he doesn't always range out like on the prairie. Um, look at some of these setters and English pointers. These dogs range out four or five hundred yards, and they're working and they're they're effective and efficient. Uh, I I think part of it is I started Lutz on that prairie so old, or he, you know he was older, uh, five and a half or six or something like that. Uh, he just doesn't he just doesn't range out that far. He might go. 150 yards, 175 at the most, and then he'll come back and check in. But the cool thing about it, he does the same thing in the woods. His range in the woods is anywhere from 75 to 150 or 160 yards, and that's perfect for the grouse woods, you know? Yeah. So he he, he finds birds on the prairie. He he gets them, but most of the time – the setters that are out there or the pointers that are out there farther are the ones that are going to find the birds because they get to them first, you know? Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but those, those same dogs, though, like the, the setters that range out like that on the prairie and the and the English pointers, the, the, the comfort determines how far the dog's going to go, and those dogs don't nearly go that far in the grouse woods. They'll yes. only go, you know, same same deal, 150 yards, maybe, maybe 200 at the most, but more like 150 because there's so many places to look. So many places yeah. birds are going to be, they just can't cover it all that fast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that seems to be, what, you know, kind of the consensus, at least from the people that I talk to. It's Everybody always wants to ask the question, like, what do you like for range or what kind of range does that dog have? But most people seem to sort of, or a lot of people seem to be sort of kind of around that opinion of the dog should be adapting to the cover that you're hunting, right? Like, it's... Yeah, he should he should be adapting to the cover that you're hunting and to what's actually going on that particular day. You know, if your dog if he likes to start out at 50 to 75 yards and he and he works that range and checks in nicely, but he's not finding any birds, maybe he should get out a little bit more. You know, and and some dogs will and some dogs won't, but the the dog should be sort of adapting to the conditions of the day. And if he could find if he could find birds right under your shoes all day, the dog probably would, but you know, a smart yeah. dog and a, and a good dog is is going to figure out because they want to find birds, so they're going to do what they that's need. That's their to job. And, and as long as you don't get in the way, right? I think that's probably probably what happens most often is certain people maybe that and and you know maybe they have good reason. Maybe they're not comfortable with their dog being out too far and that kind of thing. And so you know, unless we intervene, the dogs I think have they just have such a such a high learning aptitude for figuring out what they're doing out there that it's, you know, it's cool to see if you, if you give them that freedom to do it. Yep. And like, especially Augie now, now that she, she has got, she's got, I don't know. She's got the same training on her right now that Lutz did when he was, when he was five and a half or something, five right. and a half. She's one. Except he's, he's, 
he had all kinds of free years in the woods where he's chasing down birds and grinding them up and doing whatever. But she's won, you know. And now this is going to be her free year where she can she can bust out on her own points if she wants to and tear the birds up, chase them. I don't care. You got your free year. And the second year now, she's going to start. She's going to start honing those bird skills. You know, she's going to. She's got all the bullshit out of the way, and she's yeah. going to be able to, to, you know, really develop a style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. It's 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 really really cool to see how much they change and grow from one year to the next. And I mean, that's. Well, that's what's keeping me coming back for more, along with a lot of other things. But right now, it's it's watching my three-year-old English setter develop and get better every year. I mean, it's so much fun. It is. Yeah, I agree. All right, we talked about dogs a lot. Um, tell me, uh, I already know the answer to this question, but tell me what kind of gun you're going to be <laughs> carrying uh, into into the woods this fall. Oh. Uh... Um, and it's just a, it's just a Stoger. A Stoger? <laughs> no, it it's, a, like a it's a, nine, it's a 1929 Fox Sterling worth 20 gauge, 28 inch barrels. Nice. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. And, yeah. uh, Lane, Lane just, uh, just got herself a nice little present. She's, she's going to be carrying a 1927 Sterling worth steam gauge. 26 inch barrels that one has. That's going to be. 16 gauge, 26 inch barrels. Yep, yep. And the original stock on it, so it's, you know, too short for us, but it fits her perfect. Yep, yep. So mine doesn't have an original stock on it. The, the, the butt stock was replaced with a English or straight stock. Oh, really, yeah, that's right. Really, yeah, really, really nice piece of wood and. It yep. just it fits me perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> now is that your is that your first side by side? No, I had I still have it actually. I've got a Stevens three eleven. Oh. I think that one's from fifty nine or something. And they're cheap. There's there's a freaking million of those things, but uh, they're durable. It's it yeah. still works. You know, you can leave them outside or drag them behind your truck, and they're still gonna work. Yeah, that's good. And there's and they're still only going to be they're still only going to be worth 200 bucks too, so <laughs> Yeah, no no more no more no less. <laughs> no. Uh is that a 20 gauge too? Yeah, that one's a 20 okay. gauge. It's got 28 inch barrels, double triggers, but it's it's heavy and it's sure. it's not balanced very well, but it's it's the ultimate blue collar gun from back in the day. Yeah. It's affordable and they were everywhere. Cool. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, I, I, I knew, I knew nothing about Fox Sterlingworth's or Age Fox guns a couple of years ago until our, uh, our buddy Garrett got one and he, uh, he kind of, I didn't know what it was. I was like, oh, cool. That's some kind of old <laughs> archaic heirloom gun. I don't know what that is. And, yeah. He never, he doesn't, he doesn't force things on people. He just sort of like, he, he goes about things in a certain way that he, for whatever reason, I'm always interested in, in whatever he's doing. So then I started paying attention and I sort of got interested and you're just 
go back and you re- and you read sort of the history on AH Fox, the company, and and sort of you know Michael McIntosh wrote wrote a great book on on the company, which I read, and it's just I don't I don't know. I think it's just when you're when you're this deep into the sport of upland hunting that that kind of stuff just sort of calls to you and and it's just it adds so much more you know nostalgia yeah. whatever whatever you want to call it i mean it's just it's really cool and, and then to be to be carrying something like that through the woods and knowing that probably somebody else carried it through the woods before you and probably shot grouse and woodcock and who knows what whatever whatever it was used for i mean it's just it's there's something neat about that i think so yeah i'm I'm with you yeah yeah this i i uh i'd peek around on the internet look on gunbroker and look at parkers and and uh you know sterlingworths and and whatever stuff that i i just looked at and said man i i can't i can't justify dragging one of those things through the woods you can't afford that. I mean, you know, a thousand dollars—that's fine, you know. Right. And uh, the, the this one, this one just fell in my lap. This I, I got it from I got it from Doc. I got it from the dog trainer. Um, he he is at the skeet range. He'd say, "You got to get you got to get yourself a a nice grouse gun." I'm like, "I got a nice grouse gun, a nice over under." He's like, "No, you got to get yourself a nice one. I got a fox, you know." And that lasted months, months, and months. Like you know, I got a, I got a fox. It's really nice. I'm like, well, let's see it. And eventually, one day, it showed up, and uh, it left in my truck. And it was, uh, that was the end of the story. I, yeah. I, the, yeah. The, the first, the first round that I shot with that gun, skeet, I shot a 23 with it, and it's like. This this is perfect. You weren't giving it back. <laughs> you weren't giving it back at that point. <laughs> yeah, is it for sale? Well, no, but we can work something out. <laughs> and we did. And we did. The yeah. same with that sixteen gauge. Lane's Lane's uncle um, calls her one one day and says, "Hey, I got this gun sitting here. It'd be perfect for you." And uh, that one that one never left our place either. Once it came here, same kind of deal. Not really Got looking it. for them. They end up falling in your lap. Yeah, that's that's cool though. That's the cool thing is people, you know, you you can, you know, I went and looked looked online at gun broker. It's the same thing, you know, look for them and just it's a little tough because you don't you don't know the person and you don't know what's been done to these guns over the years and there's all kinds of stuff that goes into buying these sort of classic guns. But it's cool because yeah, they sort of come out of the woodwork like that, like. Somebody you know, it's all of a sudden. Hey, I got this. I got this. Maybe they don't even know what it is. I got this old shotgun, and then you find out it's a fox or a Parker or something like that. The you know they've all got these stories attached to them, and and that's you know that that makes it makes it interesting, and and it's it's always it's yeah it's I think it's a it's a good way to acquire one. I I, uh, I got mine from from a friend too, and that's uh, it was uh, it was a. A great way to acquire one, as opposed to opposed to some other yep. some other ways. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. But it's cool to talk about, uh, you know, the fox Sterlingworth. But what what did you start hunting with? What kind of gun did you start hunting with? Do you remember? Do you still have it? Yeah. No, I I don't have it anymore. Uh, the first the first shotgun I shot a grouse with was a. A Winchester, I think it was a Model 1300, a pump, 
Okay. It was it's not a very nice gun, you know, just a cheap cheap pump. How you know, how serious are you, you know? Three hundred dollars yeah. serious, you know? And then Yep. And then I think the next gun that that I bought was uh, uh um, it was the Remington three thirty two, I think it is. They only made them for a couple of years. Okay. It's supposed to be kind of like a reproduction of, I think, the Model 32 or the 3200. So they were okay. trying to replicate that thing, you know. And that's, I, yep. still, I still have that gun. That, that's a, it's a decent gun. It's heavy. It's, it's front heavy. It's only got 26-inch barrels, but it's still somehow is heavy up front. Um, now, then I started, I have two Weatherbees. I got a a 12 and a 20 gauge Weatherby Orion, and uh, the 20 gauge is a fantastic field gun. Yeah, those, that Orion, that's gun. an over under, right? Yeah, that's an over under. Yeah, mine okay. are from like yeah. the the early to early to mid 90s, so they're not the new okay. ones. They're the they're the older ones, and they're they're solid, okay. great guns made by SKB. Oh, yep. okay, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a nice yeah, gun yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty nice. Yeah. You know, that's that's just that's the way it is, though, right? Like we can, you can, you can hunt with just about anything. I mean, it's got to shoot straight and it's got to pattern well, but but you don't need much. You don't need much. You know, I had started with the Remington 870 Express Youth model. I still have it, and I was. I was probably 10 or 11 when I got that gun, and so obviously any 10 or 11-year-old that gets a gun is thinks it's probably the greatest gun in the history of the world, and you know it still is in some ways. It, it, I shot my shot. It I, is. I think I shot. I think I shot my first grouse with a break action, a single, you know, the classic like uh, break action single shot 20 gauge. Um, yeah. One of those I shot my first grouse with, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a slow process. You know, you're always, most of us are always collecting guns and maybe doing a little horse trading, as guys like to say, and that sort of thing. One of the, yeah, uh, one of the old time grouse hunters that I know, he, he would tell me that, uh, the, the number of guns that you need is always N plus one, which is the number <laughs> of guns the number of guns you have plus one more. And I thought that was, I thought that's a great, <laughs> great way to, great way to put it. Cause I think that's how most of us operate. We've got, we have the number of guns that we have, but there's always the possibility for that, that one other one that we might be looking for. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I had more room in my safe. They're getting pretty, pretty packed in there. That's a, that's a bird hunter's problem right there. Yeah. It's, it's, Certainly my problem, I can tell you that. Sorry, right, though. It's a, a guy could have worse problems than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I did want to, I had this question written down. I was going to ask you, mainly out of my own curiosity, but I think it's good timing for it, because I've been sort of fascinated with this recently, but how do you, uh, we'll talk grouse and woodcock hunting here, like, you know, Great Lakes states, whatever. This applies elsewhere, but it's probably pretty localized because we do, we have so much public land here that I think we we do things a little bit differently. But how do you go about how do you go about finding finding new cover? Well, I saw that I saw that article that that you did like what about a month ago about looking satellite. 
Yeah. I've been doing yep. I've been doing that a long time. And it's not yep. it's not always reliable because uh in certain areas they they're not updating the uh the satellite images. But yep. once you once you know once you got your feet on the ground in an area and then you go back to the satellite and see, okay, that's where I was, that's what aspens look like. You know, yep. that's what that's what evergreens look like, that's what a swamp looks like. Now you can start going around on this public land and saying, "Hey, there's a cut," or you know, there, there's some uh, some aspens that are a little, a little bit taller. And that's 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 easy scouting right there, and I've done yeah. a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like like up up north by the cabin, nothing beats driving around and checking it yeah. out and getting in there. Nothing beats that. But you can get a lot of work done. From from Google Earth or satellite yeah, images, I, I think that's that's sort of the way to look at it. Yeah, because I know when I wrote that article and posted it, and there was a lot of people that commented like, you know, you can't replace hunting, you can't replace boots on the ground and that sort of thing. And that you know, it, at no point at no point did I ever suggest that you could replace boots on the ground. It's just you can just do work while you can't, you know, you can't be in the woods. I, I can't be in the woods all day, every day, as much as I would like to. But, you know, when, when you can't be there, you can, you can use that as an asset, that satellite imagery to sort of browse around it. And, you know, like we all know this, you're driving the roads. It might look like crap from the road, but 150, 200 yards in, there might be the best cut in the world. No so, doubt. Or even, or even farther than that, because I've, I've found, yeah plenty of places that what's this doing out there you know you, you you sometimes you don't have the patience to walk through the garbage to get to that gem but you see it on Correct. a satellite and now you get there and you found something good you know exactly it, yep exactly mm-hmm. perfect example of that I, I went out hunting last night with a buddy of mine uh just that we snuck out you know it's early season we're grouse hunting but we uh I had found this cover online, and I knew that it was a piece, it was a clear cut of aspen that had been harvested in 2006. So it was, you know, it's it's 11 years old, and I could see that it had an edge. I, I wasn't looking at topographic maps, so I didn't really know the terrain or anything, but I just know that there's this aspen, and it was in off the road. And so we pull up out front on the main road, which this road is pretty close to, to town, and so it gets a little bit of pressure. And it was like a it was like a Norway pine, red pine plantation where the trees were basically in rows, and yep. there's no there's no underbrush, you know. Like most people are driving by that, being like, I don't I don't care, I'm not going in there. There's no birds in there. And so we drove. We could only get halfway through it because the road was so rutted out. Uh, there was some people going back. I don't know what they were doing, but so we parked the truck. We walk in there, and here's this beautiful. 11 year old aspen cut on the side of a hill with a with a swamp edge that we just we worked all the way around it for you know an hour and a half 45 minutes before dark and we only we flushed four birds it wasn't crazy but it was i think a spot that most people probably don't get into and it wasn't even that far off the beaten path but i just i just don't think there's a lot of people in there because again you can't see that from the road, and unless you're unless you're looking online and scouting in advance, you're probably not going to find that. So, yeah, and it's not sound, from the sound of it, a spot like that um, during the during the prime time of the year is always going to hold a bird. I yeah. mean, there's 
there's always going to be a bird on an edge somewhere, you know, especially that kind of an edge. Yeah, I got yeah, a I got a spot up north just like that. With I've I've driven past for a couple years that it's just a a plantation and there's a hill there and I've never gone over the hill and down the trail and I found it on satellite. Like, look at that! I've been driving past that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's 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 uh what it's very cool. You know, it's a modern piece of technology that we have sort of at our fingertips and. It's cool. It's a it's a piece of the puzzle. You can yep. as you're as you're doing doing your scouting or whatever, and you're you're putting boots on the ground and you're you're driving driving the roads. You know you can get back and you can double check things and and it just adds another perspective to uh, finding bird cover. And uh, the Wisconsin so. DNR has a has a website too that um they're they're showing spots where they've got aspen cut and it's certainly not showing them all but now they're starting to document this stuff and you know put it in map form and color it so that's that's definitely another um resource that i've used absolutely i've used i've used that as well and that's uh i think it's called flight i think i think that's what the acronym is for it yeah yep yeah flight i believe is is what it comes up as you can i think you can like if you would to Google like uh, uh, Wisconsin DNR uh, upland bird or forest bird or something, it's not yep. very hard to find. But yeah, yep. they show they will show you um, a- aspen cuts that have been done with between five and twenty years. So yep. basically, basically, what you're looking for when you're when you're grouse and woodcock hunting. So any aspen cut on state or county land, they don't have the fed cuts in there, but. Uh, yeah, I've used that with success already. I've I've yeah, marked spots and I checked I checked some of them last weekend on opener and I I hunted all new spots last weekend on opener in Wisconsin and I felt like I was hunting phenomenal cover. We didn't do that well for birds, so take that for what it's worth. But <laughs> I've been I've been hunting grouse long enough where the cover that I was in I know could hold birds. And so, yeah, so there's another tool for people. And I know Michigan has something similar. Minnesota, my home state, I love them, but they're a little bit behind the curve. I wish we had that. Uh, we don't yet. But, um, yeah, Wisconsin, Upland Bird Hunters, check that out. And Michigan Hunters, I know you guys have something similar. Uh, that's a fantastic resource. Maybe somebody, from, maybe somebody from Minnesota will be listening to this. Yeah, maybe like one or two people from Minnesota yeah. or that that yeah. might be in charge of a website or something. Exactly. Yeah, that, that <laughs> they could they could do that. I would have to start needling some people about that <laughs> and uh talk to maybe some of my some of my friends at 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 state agencies or something like yeah, that. Yeah, cuz that that'll That'll help me out a lot when I want to come to Minnesota and hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cuz I know you you guys you guys are just going to send me down the trail, you know. Right. It's probably it ain't gonna be any good. You're gonna send me to like maple some maples or something. <laughs> yeah, a nice big hardwood stand with, with everything shaded out and nothing yeah. on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Nothing but leaves on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well I know you uh I know you're excited to to head north tomorrow to camp. I'm not gonna keep you any longer. I felt like we covered a lot of ground and uh again the film should be out by the time we post this. So uh, cool. if you guys are listening to this and you haven't seen the film, 
definitely check that out. I imagine a lot of you probably will have seen it, and maybe you're listening to this to find out more about Brandon and and Camp Thunderbird and and what he and Lane have done up there. It's it's really really cool, and uh, I feel like the the film has uh, has shown that in an in an awesome way. And I got to get there, man. We gotta we gotta figure that out this fall. I know we both were talking about we have that. We've got a week off in October, so whatever happens, we got to figure it out. Where maybe we trade a night at you stay up at my cabin one, yeah. one night, and I'll I'll come down there for another night because we're not that far from each other. So no, we I thought that out. It, it'll work out for sure. The offer the offer stands. Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay, well, dude, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, wish you guys the best of luck, you and Lane and the dogs. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend at camp. And uh, get on those timber doodles. It's opener this weekend. And uh, let, let, let me know how you do. Will do. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. You take care. Yep, see ya. See ya. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.